Well, thank you, choir, for that. I, I love uh, a song like that. I, I was asked to briefly uh, introduce myself, uh, just kind of who is this new face up here. Uh, my name is Chris Swanson, and my family and I have been members at ABF now for a couple of years, but I serve at Samaritan's Purse, uh, particularly in Operation Christmas Child on the international side. And so this is particularly a great kind of musical piece to get me going today because after third service, I'm jumping on a plane and going to the Amazon. So I think I'm going to be singing this trying not to annoy passengers uh, for a good portion of that. But um, so thank you, choir, for that. Um, just an honor to get to open God's word prior to coming to Samaritan's Purse, uh, pastored for 18 years. And uh, so preaching and the opportunity to open God's word is for me just an honor and a privilege. So grateful to Pastor Scott and the uh, leadership here at uh, ABF to be able to do this. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, would you uh, open to that? We're going to look at a very familiar story, that of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, if you're not familiar with it, you will be by the end of our time together this morning. But as I think about that story, it reminds me kind of a theme that pops out to me is, is that of um, interruptions. I, I don't know if you enjoy interruptions. I'm not a big fan of them. Uh, as a child, I found that the, the common occurrence for me was just as I was starting to build like the perfect fort with my friends, that was when mom would say, all right, come home for dinner or it's time to leave. It was just like, oh, not now. It was always bad timing. And, 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 and I thought, well, what is it about interruptions, at least for me, that I don't really enjoy? And again, speaking for myself, I, I, I like to be in control, if I'm honest. And so an interruption kind of takes me out of that because now I'm not quite sure what's happening, where we're going. But God is in the business of what I'd like to really uh, lay before you today of some divine interruptions or divine appointments. You might think of them that way. And Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is a classic story uh, that, that really draws this truth out. God is in the business of writing his story, and he constantly uses divine interruptions. Some of you might be sitting here going, boy, you're telling me, and I got one going on right now, and I'm not sure why. Well, hopefully this passage, God's spirit will encourage you this morning through this. Uh, first, I'd like to share a story with you that was kind of a classic illustration in my life of God moving in a divine interruption. What to me did not feel very divine uh, many years ago, probably some 20 plus years ago, uh, I was volunteering for an organization. I've, I've shared the story with a few uh, here, but I was volunteering for an organization where we would uh, go get children from Central America and Caribbean. We'd bring them to the States for medical treatment. We'd return them home when they were done. And it was a phone call that came one day in the midst of pastoring uh, that uh, asked if I would escort a, a, a little boy, some nine years old, Billy, back to his home country of Belize. He'd been uh, treated and, and was returning to his family. And uh, so it was, a, it was a great opportunity. I, I certainly enjoyed it, but it was not good timing. <laughs> uh, you see, I had some important meetings coming up uh, the day after this trip was scheduled, and uh, they were important. I mean, they're about the work of the church. They're about God's work, so they're very important. And uh, so I, I confess that I said yes, but with a little bit of an attitude, a little bit like, well, if the flight doesn't work out, I'll go with alternative plans. So sure enough, I went uh, uh, that morning of the day, taking Billy down to Belize. Uh, the way I timed it, I could actually get there and back in the same day. We were living in Chicago at the time. But once you know it, for some reason, the airlines and the weather did not uh, acquiesce to my plans. 
And I, I still to this day in all the traveling I do don't understand that. It, it, it irritates me. And it irritates a lot of people because we kind of forget that, you know, it's not about us. But that day, it was kind of about me. And uh, get on the plane, get down to Miami, and uh, saw that the schedule was going to cause us to be delayed. I was not going to make my connection on the return. I'm going to miss my important meetings, my really important meetings. So I remember distinctly getting down in front of Billy right there at the gate uh, in Miami and saying, Billy, listen, um, this flight attendant here uh, is, is going to take you on the plane and he's looking at me already a little suspicion. I said, I'm not coming with you. And I got about that far, and Billy burst into tears. And I gave in <laughs> with a bad attitude. But he didn't know that. Uh, okay, forget it. I'm going with you, Billy. We're going to go. And uh, so I just want to be honest with you that I got on that plane uh, pouting and frustrated with God. Like... I am serving you, I'm doing important kingdom work, and you're messing me up. But I got a crying kid, and this would not be a good move. So I'm going to go with it, but you got to come through. Like I can talk to God that way. But I was kind of, that was my attitude. So if we just pause there for a minute, we'll come back to that later. I'd like you to look at Acts chapter 8 with me, uh, 26 through 40. Uh, proud to be wearing my reading glasses now that I'm 46. Um, so uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Love this story. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Just some background on some of the key players in this story. Uh, if you went back a couple of chapters, you'd find Philip as one of the deacons in Acts chapter 6. 
Uh, You'd find that Philip was dispersed along with so many when Stephen was stoned, and alongside Stephen's stoning stood a, 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 a man named Saul, who we will come to know as Paul. But that created this dispersion, and so Philip goes to Samaria. Samaria became a place of great success for Philip. Samaria, uh, the gospel had been given, the spirit has come. In fact, it was so successful, at the beginning of chapter 8 of Acts, you read that the reports had gotten back to, to, to the church, and Peter and John came to check it out. You see, God was on the move in Samaria, and Philip was right in the mix. It could be said that Philip was one of the first international evangelists. Success. That was in Samaria. Things are happening. And and then we have the eunuch. So this is important to note. The eunuch, uh, again, a high Ethiopian official. You could say that his role was that of kind of the secretary of finance or the secretary of treasury for the queen of Ethiopia. He came to Jerusalem, it says in in, in Scripture here, to to worship there in verse 27. It's, It's interesting, the word worship, and important to note that it was not that he came as a follower, but one who was coming to investigate this God. Very specific form of the word worship here. Uh, So he was still searching. He had come to worship. Now, interestingly enough, it says farther down in our passage that he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And I think it's important to note, because we kind of take it for granted, that it wasn't this, right? It was a scroll. Isaiah is no short book. And in scroll form, it is no short scroll, some hundred plus feet long if you unroll the whole thing. And he happened to be reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Just just happened to be there. And he was returning home to what today we know as present-day Sudan. So those are the kind of the main characters, two characters, Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, just to give some context, uh, Scripture says that the angel of the Lord, you know, God's Spirit spoke to, to Philip and said to go down to the road that leads to Gaza. This is a desert place. And if you look at a map, you find that it's, it's kind of from Jerusalem that's inland from the Mediterranean Sea over to the coast down south. Not a pleasant road. Uh, in fact, I was trying to think of a comparison. Like, what would it be today? And I realized I better not make any comparisons because someone here is bound to be from the town or <laughs> the road that I would use. Uh, so we won't go there. Let's just, uh, just know that the road to Gaza was not a pleasant one. Uh, this was not where if you're successful, you, you go for your next step in ministry. Uh, this was truly an unanticipated interruption for Philip. He goes uh, onto the road. We're not quite sure how he gets there, whether it's, again, a supernatural move or God kind of transports him. But nonetheless, he arrives on the road to Gaza. Now, let me pause there for a minute because I want to highlight some lessons that come out of this passage so that as we walk through it, you can kind of let these be your filters. See, I would suggest to you that divine appointments or divine interruptions, as you might want to think about it, uh, have five consistent characteristics. Number one, they're vital to the epic or the story that God's writing in your life. Because God is writing his story. They're not accidental. I promise you, God is not in heaven caught off guard. 
uh, he is very present with you because they're vital to the epic. I like to think of it as an epic, as a story that God's writing in your life. Number two, they're always supernatural. Now, some might argue with this saying, now, wait a minute, Chris, I, I mean, they're pretty ordinary if you ask me. Well, that's the point, is God does extraordinary things through ordinary moments, and they're always supernatural. See, I, I, I fear that in our country, in our evangelical culture within the U.S., we've kind of flipped it. We've kind of assumed, I've heard people say, that other parts of the world experience the supernatural because they haven't reached our maturity yet. And God needs to kind of reveal himself that way. I think I'd kind of flip that around if you don't mind. And say, I think we're missing out. Because God always moves in these ways supernaturally. It may not be kind of the way we wrap our heads around it, but it's God. It's it's the way God works. Number three, they usually don't make sense. That we probably wouldn't argue with. Boy, tell me about it. The last interruption made no sense. You're in good company because that's generally how God works. They usually don't make sense. They usually involve the gospel. God's heartbeat, his passion is that his creation would know the transforming power of Jesus, that they would receive his love and then give it back. It's the, the receiving of God's love and the giving of God's love that is the ultimate purpose in life. And so that is what he wants it to be about. Honestly, it's not about our comfort. That is not his passion. If you're comfortable, great. But God's heartbeat is for the gospel, and so it usually involves the gospel. And lastly, and probably most difficult, is that it requires obedience. It requires quick, swift obedience. This one messes me up every time. I don't know about you, but I'm sure that in heaven, God must have a two-by-four where it says Chris Swanson. And on a regular basis, there's probably angels lining up for this. He's like, it's all yours. Go knock them up. Just bam, so that he'd hear me. I feel too often I can't hear the voice of God. And it's not because he's not speaking. It's on me. And we'll hear and see a little bit of how uh, Philip dealt with that in a moment. You see, this is a supernatural story, and God still moves supernaturally today. He's in the business of doing supernatural things. Might we not forget that? Can we not walk out the door today and go, I'm ready. What's it going to be? What's the supernatural thing you're going to do today? Or how about 10 or 15 of them, Lord? Just give me eyes to see like the servant, like Elisha's servant, when you took, peeled away and he saw the supernatural. God still speaks today. And he's speaking to you specifically this morning. Uh, we were at some good friend's house last night for dinner, and uh, we were just talking, and, it, it, you know, they said, well, you know, tomorrow, what you up to tomorrow? And it came out that I was going to preach today, and they said, oh, if we had known, we would have come and heard you speak. And I said, no, please don't. Don't. In fact, don't ever come hear me speak. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Come hear God speak. Because if I'm speaking, if that's the deal, then I missed the boat and so did we all. It's not about my voice, it's about God's voice. And God is still speaking today and I am convinced, whether it's through this passage or some other moment today, God has a word for you. God has a word for you. God's spirit is whispering or yelling one way or the other to you. Might we slow down enough to hear his voice? So Philip 
called from Samaria, from success, to go to the, the desert place, the road that leads to Gaza, ends up in the right place at the right time. I love that about God. He, he just seems to do that. Philip's in the right place at the right time, but not only that, the eunuch was also. My imagination can't help itself to wonder what it must have been like for Philip arriving on the road to Gaza and kind of like, now, what? But the eunuch was also on his way, and God was going to intersect their paths. They were at the right place at the right time, but not only that, the, the, the eunuch was reading the right text. I love this story because God has orchestrated every detail, not unlike what he does in every one of our lives, even the details that make no sense. Not only the place and time, but the text, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. If, if, if you've been around the church some time, you know that oftentimes at Christmas or even Easter, those times where we very, very specifically celebrate Jesus. And, and again, oftentimes Isaiah 53 is used. We sing it. It's one of the great gospel messages from the Old Testament. Wouldn't you know, in a scroll that size, he happens to be reading Isaiah 53. Is God not amazing? And it's as if Philip, and I, it, the scripture really doesn't tell us this, but it's as if Philip's just kind of going along like, yeah, this is, this is who you are, God. Probably reflecting on Samaria going, wow, who would have known? And here we are in Samaria. The eunuch uh, not only is reading the right text, so we have the right place, the right time, the right text, but we also have the right heart. And oftentimes that's the most difficult one. In fact, I find myself often praying, God, begin with my heart. Give me the right heart. Those I yearn to reach for Christ, God, prepare their heart, capture their heart. I pray that for my kids. God, capture their heart. He had the right heart. Look at verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, after they've looked at this passage, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? I mean, the eunuch teased Philip up. It's like, he might as well have just said, could you just, like, lead me to Jesus? Because I'm ready. I love that. And I wonder how many times in the, in, in the walk, the everyday walk, the normal, ordinary, sometimes painful, frustrating walk we live, are there people that God has prepared their heart? And if we would just step in, not unlike Philip, we would experience similar situations. So all this is supernatural, and, and to me it shows how amazing God deals in the details of our lives. Again, the ordinary details are part of God's epic. But, but they don't always make sense, and, and I love how Philip kind of leads the way here. This is where I just cannot relate to Philip. In fact, as I was driving over this morning, I just was praying, Lord, um, you know me really well, and you know that I am not standing up as some model modern-day Philip. I, I am so far away. I just, God, make me a Philip. Uh, because look at what, what it says in verse 27. Uh, so he's heard the word from the angel of the Lord, go to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Scripture makes sure to point that out. It's a desert place. And the next words are, he rose and went. There are no apparent excuses. Just prompt, simple obedience. 
And I love if you drop down to verse 29. Uh, now Philip is there. They intersect. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And I love that. The next verse, it says, so Philip ran. I just cannot relate. If God pointed to like, go over to that SUV or that limo. I mean, Philip knew this was an important person, undoubtedly. I'm sure the chariot was escorted and there were some signs that this was an important person. But I know myself, it would have been a discussion first. Are you positive? Like, are you pointing to that one? Or is it that one? Because if it's that one, I could get in serious trouble, God. And what if he doesn't like, what am I going to say? Why are you, does anyone relate to me here? Because that's, as I read this, I go, man, Lord, make me a Philip. So Philip ran to him. But think of how Philip ran. Philip did not know who this was. Again, he knew he was important, but he did not know who he was. I kind of doubt there were little flags for Ethiopia flapping on the corners of the, of the chariot. He did not know who this was. Philip did not know where he was reading. Philip didn't even know he was reading scripture. Philip did not know where this man's heart was. There's risk, right? Walking up to someone and God sent me. And Philip did not know the timing, even if I could add this detail, of the water. Go figure. Right about the time he finishes with the gospel, ta-da, there's water. Philip did not know any of this, but here's what I love, and here's what we can take away from this. God did. God knew every bit of that scenario. God knew it, and Philip knew God, and that was enough. I don't know for me if that's always enough. God knew it. And Philip knew God, and that was enough. Isaiah 55, just a couple chapters later, 55, 8, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And my confession to you is that oftentimes I read that verse and go, Boy, that's true. Too often I think of that verse and go, right, and had you done it my way, it probably wouldn't be so painful right now. And I think God responds in tenderness and love and goes, son, I got this one. Just obey. Because it's going to be a desert road sometimes. And I'm going to interrupt you because I'm passionate about writing my story in you and through you so that you can be about what I want you to be about. Sometimes God's answer to our question of why is what feels like a no answer. Have you been there before? God, why? And then there's silence. And, and, and I ask myself, must I understand God to obey? Do I have to have the why answered to obey? Chris too often needs that. Or is it enough just that he is God? For Philip, it seemed enough that he was God. For Philip, it seemed enough, and I'm sure Philip went back in his mind to review God's constant faithfulness in his life. And it had to have been a split second that, that Philip's like, man, 
I, I never would have thought that losing Stephen would take me to Samaria. And then to see you move, it says supernaturally, so much so that you're doing such great things that Peter comes and shows up and we got all, God, I can't doubt it. You've been faithful. You're going to keep being faithful. But here's something that I think we've been raised to believe, particularly in our, our culture in the United States, and, and that is that we have the right to know. We kind of, whether physically or in our heart, wag our finger at God like, I have the right to know. And doggone it if I'm going to move until you tell me why. And God goes, is it not enough that I am who I am? Is it not enough that I've been faithful all your life? Even in the desert places. We've written it in our important documents that we have rights. We see today on the news people exercising their rights and doggone it, if you take my rights away, watch out. Well, I think there's some helpful reality to that. I'm not discarding the importance of the freedoms we have, but I think when we bring that into our walk with God, boy, we can mess it up in a hurry. Because I don't know that we have the right to know every detail. So what holds us back from obeying when the Spirit says, just go down to the road that leads to Gaza. Oh, and it's a desert place. I mentioned these divine interruptions usually involve the gospel, and in Philip's case, it did. It it, it says that when he came there, right, go over and join the chariot, Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah, this is verse 30, the prophet, and asked, Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading? Great question, just to engage. And the eunuch says, well, how can I, unless someone guides me? It's kind of like Philip goes, well, glad you asked. Here I am. It must have been clicking in Philip's mind. This is it. This is it. So it says that Philip opened his mouth. So Philip ran to him, heard him. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture, and we read the scripture. And then in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We can use any scripture, I believe, to begin to speak of the truth of Jesus. In fact, think about it. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. And, and, and the, the, the Hebrew in that opening verse of Scripture indicates that it was a we thing. The God that it, God created, we, the Spirit breathed, was over the water. It was, it was the triune God present at creation. Jesus was there. If someone says, I'm just starting with this thing. I'm in Genesis 1.1. Can you tell me something about like hope? Oh man, I can tell you right there. Genesis 1.1, Jesus was present. But fast forward to Revelation 22, right at the end. In Revelation 22.20, the last words, surely I am coming soon. I is Jesus. Again, the story of God from cover to cover. Just as a side note, uh, Philip opened his mouth and starting with that scripture, shared the good news of Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to have the answers. Some of us sitting here go, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But I haven't studied, I, I, don't, I don't got the Hebrew, the Greek thing down, or, or 
no, let me just assure you this, you don't have to have the answers, but I, I don't mean this in a cheesy way, but you have to be passionately convinced that he is the answer. Because if you're passionately convinced that Jesus is the answer, you don't have to have all the answers at that moment because you already got the answer. And, and Philip models that for us, this quick obedience, this understanding that the Spirit has called me, it's not what I expected, and it's going to be something amazing. Church history suggests that it was this simple, ordinary conversation, which was really, as we see it now, a supernatural, extraordinary conversation, was what God used to insert the good news of Jesus Christ into Africa. Thank goodness Philip responded to a rather uncomfortable interruption and acknowledged that it was God's voice pushing him to go to the road to Gaza. So Philip ran to him, it says. And they had this conversation. How will I know if no one tells me? And then scripture says, and I love how it happens, I mentioned the water piece, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Asotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And if you look at a map, it, it, it's just, you know, it's Gaza near the coast and then Asotus, and he goes up to Caesarea. And, and again, church history and the word of God tells us that Caesarea, he witnessed another miracle as Peter was given the privilege of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. God just, God had it down. God knew what he was doing. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Proverbs 16, 9, we make the plans, right? It says that God establishes our steps. Or in another version, he directs our steps. I am so grateful for that. Because I do recognize all joking aside, that if God allowed me to have my way, I'd be in a heap of a mess. He establishes our steps. Philip is swift and simple in his obedience. The eunuch, it says, went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch's life had been transformed because of swift, simple obedience of a very uh, successful and, and probably somewhat comfortable situation in Samaria. You ever found yourself there? Things are going well. The business is well. The family seems to be doing really well. At least that's what we say every Sunday. How you doing? Great. It's great. Shut up. We're doing great. We're doing great. Maybe it's just us. Um, and God interrupts and, and, and takes us to desert roads. And the eunuch left rejoicing. Philip ended up in Caesarea he would settle down there and he'd witness the gospel coming to the Gentiles. So here's the effect of obedience. Probably the most difficult part of that list because the first, the first four points of the list are kind of on God, right? 
it's, it's this, this fifth one, that one about obedience that's tough. But I love, again, Isaiah, Isaiah 32, 17, going back a little farther from where the eunuch was, Ethiopian eunuch was reading. It says this, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Well, I just read that and I go, God, I, I desperately want that peace and I want that quietness and confidence. That's the effect of obedience. I, I think of the scene, this is going to date me, but Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Indiana Jones is this... It, it went, Okay, good. A few heads nodding. There's a section here that's not. Anyways, um, but there's a point at which, at which Indiana Jones is going to get this, the cup that's going to give him the, the Holy Grail, right? And, and he comes to the edge of this precipice, and he remembers the words that he needs to take a step of faith. And so you watch in the movies, he sticks his foot out, and then he, he kind of leans forward, and bam, he's on the bridge that crosses. And I think, Lord, that's the kind of obedience I want to have. Man, it's hard. Observations, back to those five. Let me just walk us through them again. Divine interruptions, divine appointments. They're always vital. They are vital to the epic, the story that God is writing in your life. Don't think for a minute that the story got stopped or interrupted. The interruption's part of it. Not only that, but they're always supernatural. I think we ought to get used to we're a part of something supernatural. Sometimes it's all out there. I want to hear the impact story so it makes me feel good. Well, guess what? You are an impact story. And it's pretty supernatural. They usually don't make sense. Big old amen for that. They usually involve the gospel and they require obedience. So where today has the spirit called or spoken to you? that feels like an interruption, it's out of space, it doesn't make sense where, you, where your response is going to be obedience, where my response is going to be obedience. And if I had time, I could tell you two or three right now in my life where this has been so convicting today. So I'm on the plane with Billy, and um, we, we get to cruising altitude, and uh, I got a really bad attitude. I've already told you that. Uh, but not, I don't let Billy know that. You know, fake it till you make it. That's what I was taught. And so we're having a good time, and, and we start crossing over Cuba. So, hey, Billy, look out there. That's Cuba. Like, he cares, right? Billy, that's Cuba. And Billy turns to me. I kid you not. He says, Mr. Chris, um, the, the people that I stayed with, they gave me a Bible. I went, oh, that's great. That's great, Billy. Check out Cuba. It's, it's right there. And he goes, Mr. Chris, they told me about um, Jesus and um, I still have some questions. Right, okay, well, we can talk about, oh, check that. I'm not kidding you, it was that bad. And then it was like the spirit, remember that two by four? They went and got a four by four. <laughs> and um, like, whoa, yeah, Billy, let me, t- Billy, let me tell you about Jesus. So I shared the gospel with Billy, and then Billy did this on top of it, he goes, could I? Could I pray to ask Jesus into my life? I'm thinking, no, that's what I'm supposed to ask you. Like, they taught me, ask the question. No, can I pray? Sure you can. While he's asking that, he's unbuckling, getting down, kneeling at the seat. Now I'm in a quandary because I finally listened to the voice of the Spirit, but I'm still all about Chris. 
in the midst of this. And I got a full plane. There's someone next to me, and I'm thinking, do I really want to get up and kneel next to this kid? But it was like the Spirit just, come on. So I unbuckled and knelt next to him, and Billy gave his life to Jesus that day. And it all made sense. Thank goodness that in spite of this stubborn, too busy doing God's work to listen to God's spirit pastor, God got his purpose done. And I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story, but God's just amazing because 20 years later, just a few years into being with Operation Christmas Child, I get forwarded a little note from folks that get our emails and it just simply said, hey, Chris, are you this Chris? Could you look down, follow the trail? Because there's a guy named Billy looking for a Chris Swanson and he found you on Facebook. And it was Billy. And I wrote him, I said, Billy, this is Chris. Oh my gosh, how are you doing? He goes, oh, Chris, I'm doing great. I'm married now. I have a son. And I cannot believe you work for Operation Christmas Child because just a few weeks ago, my son came to Jesus when he got a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child. And my wife and I were going back to church as a family. And I'm like, you know, God, I am really an idiot. I just did not get it. So I don't know what your road, your Gaza road is. I don't know the road of the desert that you might be walking. But it's not about what I know, it's about what he knows. And what I do know is that it's vital to the story he's writing. And I do know that it's going to be supernatural, it already is. And I do know it's not going to make sense, sorry about that. It's going to be about the gospel because that makes God's heart pump but you got to obey. I got to obey. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for um, the story of Philip. Thank you for men and women through the ages, not just in Acts, but today, who have um, and do serve you and and know your voice and listen and obey. Father, we want to be those men and women. So my prayer for each one of us today Uh, wherever it is, whatever the road is that we're on right now, whatever the divine interruption we may be experiencing, uh, Father, would you, uh, through your spirit, give us that Philip-type response that we might run to where you're calling us, not knowing the answers and not knowing the why, but knowing who is the one that's calling and that being enough. We love you. In Jesus' name.